Welcome to the Forge American Missional Podcast, where we discuss faith, mission, the church, and the intersection of all three. Today on the interview, we have the opportunity to sit down with Scott Erickson. Scott is an artist, author, performance speaker, a spiritual director, and a creative curate who mixes autobiography, mythology, and aesthetics to create art and moments that speak to our deepest experiences. He is the co-author of Prayer, 40 Days of Practice, and May It Be So. He's also the author of Honest Advent. Check him out at scotterickssonart.com. Thanks for listening, and we're glad you're joining us at the interview. Welcome to the Forge America Missional Podcast. Today, I'm joined by my friends, Terry. How's it going today, Terry? Fantastic. And Alan? Doing good, man. Yep, always doing good. (laughs) Especially when I get to hang out with you. Yeah, it's so good. Uh, That's why I do the podcast, just so I can hang out with you guys. Uh, And today I have the honor of welcoming an old friend to the podcast, my friend Scott Erickson. Uh, How are you today, Scott? I'm great. I'm great. It's good to be together. It's been a hot minute since you and I have been able to spend any time together, so it's kind of a special treat. And it's it's interesting for me, you know, you're, you're kind of a big deal now. And so um, when people <laughs> say, hey, have you heard of this guy, Scott Erickson? I'm like, yeah, I know Scott. And, you know, they, they are all fanboying over you. Uh, and I'm like, I remember Scott as this college student. Yeah. <laughs> who had uh, bleach surfer hair and puka yep. shell necklaces and was kind of the wild man of our college ministry. So it's it's a real trip now that what you're doing in the world today uh, and the Scott that I know. <laughs> Those are kind words. I mean, that people are liking what I'm doing. But yes, we knew each other in college. We were, we were very... We were earlier versions of ourselves now, for sure. <laughs> and I'd like to correct, it was never a puka shell necklace. It was a hemp necklace uh, that was made by somebody that I was into and in, at Western. So I don't, I don't even remember <laughs> who gave it to me. But That's yes, hilarious. I that. Okay. I also have a hemp necklace that my husband Joel made for me at that time. That was that was the thing to do in mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. the late 90s at Western Washington University. It was it was very cool. I do you remember that I was on The Price Is Right uh, when we were in college? Yes, oh, and yes. so that video still comes up, and I have bleached out hair, the hemp necklace, and the, my Western Washington shirt on. So I I have to reference this often, where I'm like, it was really cool to bleach your hair then, and, <laughs> and it's not a puka shell necklace; it's a hemp necklace. <laughs> yeah. Our next contestant is Scott Erickson. Come on down. You're the next contestant on The Price Is Right. I welcome you to Contestant's Row. May I point out the next item up for bid? And our paths also crossed not just in the college ministry, but also in the art program at Western. Um, yep. And I don't think, we never had a class together. I don't think. I don't uh, think we did. But we were we were both there. We won't talk about what I've done with my art degree, um, but, you know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> so good. Well, thanks for uh, jumping in with us today. You um, have had a long journey as far as art and how you have a conversation uh, through art with folks. And, and today we're talking about your book, Honest Advent. 
So how do you go from being a crazy college kid with surfer hair and a hemp necklace to being in a place where you're writing uh, a book about waiting? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a few decades in there, so that's partly it. Um, Honest Advent came about that I've always really loved Christmas. Um, it's probably like my favorite holiday. And I um, I actually really like the brand of Christmas. I feel like it has all the feels and I love the songs and the the color scheme and all the things. So, and But I, I there was a couple things that happened. One was I found myself, and I think it was because of some you know, political seasons, some things, some real devastating things happening in the world. Like I think at the time it was like the Syrian refugee crisis and all, all of these things. And then like we're finding our nation really divided. And then it came like Christmas time and it's just like, ho, 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 presents, presents, presents. And, and I was like, man, this feel like feels like it doesn't have anything to do with the world I'm living in right now. And not even the Santa narrative, even the like the Jesus Christian, Christian Jesus born narrative. It just, it, everything felt very sanitized and safe. It felt like it wasn't even about real people. It's just like something that happened back then. And, um, I am not a woman, but I'm married to one and I've witnessed three, uh, pregnancies and births. And, um, and I bringing that filter to the story. And I think at the time we were pregnant with our, our third, our last, who you may hear in the background, cause he's kind of, around um but he it just was like i was like man uh from my experience birth or incarnation coming into the world is very risky um it's it's joyful and beautiful yes but it's risky um it's it's scary there's a lot of unknowns and there's a lot of fluids that happen too and um i yeah and i was like what would it look like to to make imagery that was that more aligned with that the goal wasn't to try to be as like biological fluids as I possibly could it was more about the kind of what what I really nailed on was like there's this real vulnerability um to being born like every human being that's ever come into the world has come at, into the world a certain way um whether whether it's through a c-section or through a natural childbirth um like you know c-section is fairly new but like uh, yeah, there's this risk. There's this risk with it. And then that um, bringing that risk, that vulnerability and risk to the incarnation story, it, it helped me like see it all differently. And so as a designer and as an artist, I and these words are a little uh, clunky, but I was like, I wanted to rebrand Christmas because because what it is it, like I'm. I have nothing against the brand, but it's just that it's, it's a brand. It's like in it's, it's made up by marketing companies and, and it's these traditions, like none of the images you see are actually real. Like they're just images that somebody made up once and then they've redone and redone and redone. It's built up this tradition. Like it doesn't say anywhere in the Bible that Mary rode on a donkey. But when we think about the story of the, of Jesus being born, we see Mary riding on a donkey. It's not hard to imply it's not it's not like uh, impossible to imply that maybe they did have a donkey and she rode on that journey, but it's not in there, you know. And so there's so many assumptions about the story. So there's a great word that I learned. It's a Russian literary term. It's called ostronomy, and it means the art of making that it, 
that which is familiar, unfamiliar again. I, I wanted to take this story that I assumed I knew and I wanted to go, what, what don't I know about this story? What don't I know about these, um, these people involved and, and these situations? And so I, I just, yeah, I first experimented with it on Instagram. I just made like a few drawings and they were like some of my most popular posts of the year. And so then the next year came and I was like, well, let's do a few more. And I think I did like seven more. And then the next year came and I did 10 more. And then, I, and then by then I was like, well, I have 20 <laughs> images and meditations. That's pretty close to a book. So then that's kind of where I sent it to my agent. And then we came up with the proposal. So that's where the book came from. But it is this, it was this it really, for me, it was the practice of wanting to fall in love with Christmas again, wanting to bring back that one, reawaken that wonder uh, of what was happening. And and I think my my deeper question, too, along with that was like, is it something that just happened back then or is it something that's still happening right now? Like is I, th- I think in our spiritual lives, like I'm not I'm not the kind of teacher that is like, you know, let's go to Scott to talk about the Hebrew and Greek words. Like I I'm much more of a storyteller, but uh, one of my muses for teaching is like, it, the only reason we're telling a story, an old story, is because it's still happening today. Like, there's no reason to tell these old stories if they don't apply today. Like, like by telling the old story, we see that we're in the same story now. And so if Jesus, if God was incarnating in the world, how is God incarnating today in our life, in your life, in my life? Is, it, is God still incarnating into the world? And what is the avenue for that? And my submission is that God is still our incarnating in the same way, which is through human vulnerability. Yeah. It's through human uh, weakness or human limitation. Uh, vulnerability isn't necessarily your weaknesses. It's your re- it's, Vulnerability is your relationship with your weaknesses. How do you feel about having weaknesses? How do you feel about having limitations? And um, uh, <laughs> there we go. How do you feel about having kids in the room while you're doing a podcast? You know, like, how do you feel about it? Like, are you okay with it or are you afraid of it? Do you feel like you're going to be destroyed by it? Or do you feel like you'll experience grace in it? And that, and so that is where the invitation of this book is going. You're embedded in the same kind of vulnerabilities that are happening in this old story. They're still happening now. And where we can experience the Christ that is coming into our midst is is probably going to be through those vulnerabilities. You know, it's it's interesting, uh, Scott. I, I've done Advent for just a little bit of my life. Um, actually, the, the first half of my, um, even as a, as a pastor, uh, really the first 10 years of being a pastor, we we never did Advent. It was just like we did Christmas series. And so, hey, Thanksgiving was done. There's that one random after Thanksgiving Sunday that, you know, the chump on the staff has to preach. And then it's yeah. like we do a Christmas series. And so there's no real like Advent. And so I remember years ago when when advent really started to kind of come and people were making a big deal chris say in houston um mm-hmm. did uh, advent conspiracy uh and i love chris and and i was like oh what what is this advent thing and it's what's about waiting and and that whole thing was about uh, uh, turning off the the consumeristic aspect of christmas and and that and that was a very unique thing and as a as a very poor young pastor i i appreciated that uh, but there have been so many things since then um, that I've tried to tap into the to Advent and and get it. And it's funny I've never actually finished an Advent book until last year. 
And so when That's, and so if yes. you're listening, yes, yeah, if you're listening, Honest Advent was released last year. And so I wanted to have Scott on this year right before because, you know, we're about to have Thanksgiving. And so mm-hmm. you're listening to this. You can go get the book on Jeff Bezos spaceship uh, website, uh, <laughs> get the book. And then I, I encourage you to walk through it. And it was it was something that for me, there's something in it that spoke one. It's beautifully done. I mean, your artwork is amazing. It's really just it's I don't even have words for it. It's just really, really appreciate it. But even the words that you you use as you write through it, it it spoke to me in a way and it resonated in a way that so many other people who talk about Christmas and Advent uh, just misses. And 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 you you put so much emphasis on the incarnation, so much emphasis on the idea of waiting that mm. it 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 really is someone who takes the mission of God very very seriously. It, it was really encouraging and refreshing that I don't have to be as polished and I don't mm-hmm. have to have it all figured out. But there's there's beauty in just this, the, the, the sense of just sitting around and waiting uh, because we know that God's at work. And so, man, it's fantastic. I love it. I'd love to hear your thoughts on how do you take the idea of waiting and where does the role of incarnation and mission uh, as we participate in, in the mission of God to make this place a little more like heaven than earth, where, where does that role of waiting and then the action of loving people, blessing people, sharing our tables with people, uh, inviting people into our communities, how, where does that intersect and, and what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I think what has given me a helpful framework, um, and I heard, the, the first person I really heard say this was Parker Palmer, the author and Quaker um, activist, but he said at the core of, for him, his Christian belief is a paradox, is two seemingly opposing truths at the same time. So he's like, Jesus is God and human at the same time, two, two seemingly opposing truths and yet existing at the same place. And And he says that a paradox is not something that is meant to be answered, but is a mystery that is inviting you into and by by entering into that mystery, that is where the transformation happens. Um, and when I that for one made me think that I could still be a Christian, and then yeah. two, it it helped just to go. I think we all can. So let's let maybe if we don't even know what the opposing truths are, we can still find ourselves in mystery. Yeah. You know, I think one of the basic mysteries of our life is that life is seemingly just something that we're doing all on our own. And then yet there's this invitation to a hidden involvement with the giver of our existence and where the mystery that we find ourselves in is the place where those, those uh, outside. And, you know, when we say outside, like the things that we're seeing that we're, you know, our brain through our optical lenses are observing, we're seeing that, but then there's also these other things that are happening that we're seeing maybe with our soul. I don't know how to convince anybody of this, but maybe you have, and I think I explained this in Ad, Honest Advent, it's like maybe you have had moments in your life where something happened and you were like, it seems like somebody's paying attention to me. Like some things came together in a way that you weren't in charge of. And you're like, how I didn't, I said that I wanted this. I have never said this out loud. I said this in my heart, who is watching my life? And, and I think there are these moments we go, okay, there's something else happening alongside what I think is happening. And so 
I think one of the ways that I try to practice, or at least I have hope about this, is that I have a question, and I tell the story in in the book about um, finding myself in like the worst place I'd ever been in my life, and and then this kind of miraculous happening happened, um, and and this this person met me in a Home Depot and and just said they were like God had something to say to me and all this stuff, and it, and it and in that moment it what it forced me to do what it in that moment, what it revealed to me, it was like God was completely aware of where I was at in this really awful moment. And so then the question that I got in that moment was, well, what is the only conversation I can have by being here? What is, if I'm here and the giver of my life sees that I'm here, what is, what is here allow me to talk about? What is the conversation I can have by being here? And in that particular story, when I got really quiet and I said, what's the conversation? The conversation was, oh, am I still called to be an artist? Is that still my calling in the world? Not just as like a person, but as like a vocation. And the answer was yes. And I think I finished the story by going and, and then it was like, I started doing it and then eventually it led me to write the pages of this book, you know, like, so I would say wherever, when we talk about mission or being a part of this world or whatever, like, like I'm in a room with my three-year-old toddler and he, you know, I, I'm at a very particular season of my life where there's a lot demanded of me. And I think sometimes we can, we can berate ourselves because we've been given all these expectations that we should be doing more than just being responsible with what we've been given to take care of. I heard this great story recently where this, uh, this mom brought her baby to a book signing with Glennon Doyle. And this mom was just like, I want to do more. I want to help. I want to do all this stuff. And (laughs) Glennon just looked at her and said, when you put that child into kindergarten, we'll be waiting for you. You know, and she was just saying like, it's okay. Like, yeah, I get it. You have all these things in you, but you also have this. And um, I sit with a lot of those tensions of things I'd like to do and the things I'm asked to do. And I'm not saying those are easy tensions, but I, I, I view that tension as the paradox, as the mystery I find myself in. And I, and I want to trust and believe that like, that is there for because it's leading me somewhere that there's things happening inside of me that I can't see or imagine that God is working in other ways I can't see or imagine. Um, But then I can also so then with what I can see on the other side is go, well, how can I be a contribution today? Is that that's where I go to is like, like, there is there I have agency to to decide, you know, I can binge watch television every day. (laughs) I can I can I have agency to do whatever I want. And that will transform me. But then I have this other aspect of like that the divine is going to transform me in ways that I can't imagine. And so I feel like life is playing out on those things at the, at the same time. And so I have a quote on my board back here. You can't quite see it. Oh, no, you can see the bottom of it. And it's just a simple quote by Albert Camus. And it says, live to the point of tears. And maybe that's a very Enneagram 4 quote to have on the wall. But like I... I, I I often find myself when I do have tears in my eyes, it, I'm like, well, at least I'm alive. At least I care. You know, I think when the tears shut off is when I'm more scared um, because then I, I, it, I don't care. I'm not, I'm not caring about the world. I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not caring about my life, you know? So we may find ourselves with tears of joy and tears of frustration, but at least, at least we're caring. 
you were talking about vulnerability being our relationship with our weaknesses, like how we think about that. And, you know, in our culture, it's becoming more, but vulnerability and weakness aren't really valued. Like that's a, that's a scary place to go to. But if we don't enter into that conversation with ourselves about our weaknesses, if we don't work from a place of vulnerability, what do we lose? Like it's, it's risky to enter into vulnerability, but it's also risky to not enter into it. That's a great question. I mean, you know, St. Brené Brown is making a pretty great career off vulnerability um, and shame and stuff. I, my, a great insight from my friend, uh, Nadia Boltz-Weber, who's a Lutheran pastor and author. Uh, we were chatting and uh, she really helped me because I have a, a another book coming out this next year. But she's she was talking about like religion and cults and she and she said um cults cults are built on virtues. Uh and she's like and why I'm still a Christian is cuz Christianity is built upon uh grace. There is a way to organize religion and go if you believe this it'll make the best version of yourself. And there's this pitch that says like this is a product that makes you better. And I think a lot of people, including myself, have stumbled along and and butted heads with the idea that my spiritual life is trying to make me a better person. It's trying to make me the best version of myself. And I have now changed where I, I, when I talk to people, I'm like, the goal of your spiritual life isn't to become a better person. The goal of your spiritual life is to become a whole person and, and, and to make amends with your shadow side, with your fears, to to not exclude those, but to go, oh, these are actually a part of what of the makeup of me. By ignoring your vulnerabilities is to is to compartmentalize a part of yourself that you're never going to get away of, which is the part of yourself that is maybe maybe viewed as a child, but is, you know, has fears, has weaknesses, needs to be loved, needs people to care and see them. And we are pitched all the time this image of ourselves that that what we should be is like being able to be solo. Like I was with some friends last night at a birthday party and we were talking about should James, the James Bond franchise end now? Cause it's 25 films. Like, and we were like, this genre doesn't even make sense really in our culture anymore. Just this like super tough, never making mistake kind of, you know, sexually casual killing people kind of person. And we were like, I guess if they're going to keep it going, maybe they should just go the exact opposite. I mean, they might pick a female lead, but it was like, yeah, what if they picked an opposite where James Bond is like in therapy? And he's just like, I don't know. I've just met all these women and still just none of them really love me for who I am. And I, you know, I just like, what's the reality of being a person like that? Like that, that's, I think we're much more like primed for that because we've seen this, this uh, statue stoic, version of our leaders just turn out to be completely false. All of our all of our heroes have turned out to be like deeply hurt, mostly men and but women too, uh, like who have then acted out of that hurt in really destructive ways. And so my my good friend, Paul Ramey, he has a line we were talking about because we're both spiritual directors and talking about what happens to people who are vocational ministers where they have to be a certain like every human being Every human being is on a process of evolving, of learning and growing. And yet what's really hard about being a pastor is that you're hired to be in a job that wants you to stay the same for decades. And that's just not possible. And so what happens, unless you deal with that, 
um, is that you he calls it baby steps to a, 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 a divided life. You just begin baby steps to separating yourself to years later. Like it's like if you don't follow the compass correctly and you're on a trail. Sure, your first few steps, you're not that far off the trail. But five miles down the road, you're so far from your destination. And and um, one of the interesting things, one of the hard things about being um, any kind of spiritual leader is that you are going to have this side of you that you don't necessarily preach from or lead from. Like you don't it's that's not the vulnerable self that you always show to the people you're leading. But if you don't have a place where you could ever be that person or deal with that side of you, it then becomes the wound in which you wound your community from. And I, I think there's lots of, there's lots of, you know, other people have better things to say probably about leadership than I do. But like, I'm much more of like uh, Henry Nowen. I reread his book in the name of Jesus, which is such a good book on leadership. It's so small, but it's great. But he just says he has, it's kind of three ideas about Christian leadership. And he says the, the leader should be the vulnerable leader. And he much, he much is much, he's like, it, they should be much more of a leader, like the leader in an AA meeting or a recovery group. One who is also on the journey of being healed. One who is also on the journey of having uh, a wound um, that they're dealing with. No, I think what happens is you eventually become a divided self. You or you hide you you hide that person you hide that version of yourself for so long that then it becomes then this is a line stolen from that book Wild. Um I forget the author, but she just she in there she said fathers who don't deal with their wounds wound their children in the same way. And I think it's very similar as like leaders or people who don't deal with their vulnerabilities, end up wounding those around them from those places, um, from that relationship with their weakness. And your weakness could be, it can be like an addiction, but it can also be like codependency or deep, you know, love or disconnection. You know, a lot of that stuff comes from when we were kids. Um, it's, yeah, there's a myriad of things that that can be. Uh, so Scott, you earlier you were talking about the idea of mystery. Uh, and how a, a lot of this is just the invitation to to kind of sit in the mystery. The thing that I, I've always loved, loved about Christmas, though, it's been also been infuriating at times, especially as when I was a little kid. I won't go into the story of when I thought I got a Nintendo, but it was just a box of clothes. And it's just like, uh, uh, but I mean, talk about mystery. Uh, but the idea of this season and, you know, for a lot of our listeners, they they're, they're pastors and pioneers and, and leaders who are thinking about what what's next, right? That's that's a prayer that we often encourage uh, people who are part of the Forge tribe to pray. It's like, you know, spirit, what, what's next? What do you have next for us? What's the next step? And, and there's so much in that that is you have to rely on the mystery. And so um, I, I love the book because it, it does encourage us to, to embrace that mystery, embrace the waiting aspect and um, because we live in a culture, the Western culture is, um, it's, it's about action. It's about what are you accomplishing? What, what have you, what have you gotten done, um, this, this past year? And, and when you have a leader, a church leader, uh, church planter, they don't, they're not very gracious with themselves when it comes to that. So they feel like they have to fill their time up with just something. And, and it ends up being sideways energy for the most part and not super helpful. And so, um, for any leaders who are, li- who are listening, I mean, what encouragement would you offer from just that embracing the mystery and sitting and, and really be comfortable? Like, how, how can we get comfortable in the waiting piece? Jesus's disciples come to him and they say, teach us how to pray, which is a 
weird request in a highly religious uh, culture. Um, and, you know, if, if you're familiar with the story, he's like, you don't have to go on and on with so many words like pagans do. And he says, and he says, like, go in your closet and have the secret conversation. And right before he gives what we've deemed the Lord's Prayer, because at the end of it, he doesn't go and make sure you call this the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> he just says, um, your father in heaven already knows everything you need before you ask. Therefore, when you pray, pray like this. So the Lord's Prayer isn't this series. It's not a checklist of things to accomplish as much as it's a practice of reminding ourselves that God already knows. Um, I had this moment in my life. This is around the time I was writing. Uh, I did a couple prayer books with my friend, Justin McRoberts, and I just was really captured with that. You already know. And um, so for about a year, what I did, my prayer life was uh, I have children, so I have to get up early to get any quiet time. And I would get up, you know, as much as I could, I'd get up early, I'd make some coffee and I'd sit in my living room for 20 to 40 minutes in the dark. And I started lighting a candle, I think halfway through, but I just would, I would just go, you already know. And I would sit with the, you already know my, my fears, my stresses, my requests would come up and I would acknowledge them. But then I would, I would be like, but you already know that. And my real practice was to go like, if you already know, then what do we talk about? What, what, what is this time together? And I would say from that experience, what I practiced, I practiced the be not afraid. You know, there's, uh, I think, I think it was Roar who said that like, there's about 365 be not afraids in the Bible. So one for every day, this just idea of don't be not afraid. And, and so when I say the practice of the be not afraid, I, I was practicing a few things. One, I was practicing that God sees my life. That spirit, my spirituality, my spiritual life isn't about getting God's attention, but awakening to God's already in, intention. That I had to allow the places that I was hiding to come into the light, the places I felt shame or regret, or that I wasn't worthy to participate in the kingdom. And I had to let God turn on the lights in those rooms that I turned and locked the door on. And I had to let God, I had to let the light, the light of love shine on those things and, and hear that I wasn't dismissed because I had those feelings or uh, desires, or I had committed those acts that, that, that actually didn't dismiss me at all. And then I had to, uh, and then I, as I sat with that, be not afraid. I also sat with the mystery of how is my life unfolding? Where am I going? How come it didn't turn out the way I thought it would? How come I'm not the way I thought I would? And and let um, the presence of love speak to that. Don't get me wrong. There was a lot of just silent yeah. mornings, but there were some real unexpected things that happened from that time. So that's that's how I would engage with the mystery. <laughs> the mystery yeah, you find beautiful. yourself in is to go, is to go. Do I actually believe that my Father in Heaven already knows everything I need before I ask? Do what would I even talk about then if I didn't feel like I had to fill up my whole time talking about all the things that I needed to let him know about what's going on? How do I practice the be not afraid day to day? Well, and you've got another book coming out here pretty soon. You want to tell us about what you've been working on? Yeah. So uh, I have a show uh, that you came 
Brenna. I've and, been multiple uh, it's called, times. It's, it's you've amazing. been multiple times. It's called Say Yes, a liturgy of not giving up on ourselves. Uh, the show is about uh, one. I wanted to create like a ceremony, a, a ritual that is like a comedy and musical sing along and stuff like that about what do we do with the voice of giving up on ourselves and and uh, how do we get through that and does the giver of our lives have anything to say about that and so yeah I, uh, I translated that into a book was which was way more difficult than I thought it was going to be and um, I've been working on that for most of the year uh, so it comes out January 25th 2022 a lot of the things that we I mean like I wrote Honest Advent last year and then I wrote Say Yes part of last year and then this year and you know they really piggyback on each other there's still you know the premise of say yes is and it probably it was because of honest advent that it helped me get clue into that but i talk about this idea of a death of a dream because me I, I had this real poignant experience where i just like broke down crying one night and was like what's happening to me and i realized a, a kind of a dream was dying and um, a dream can mean lots of different things. And I propose that what a dream really is, is not necessarily like a thing or an object or like a vacation or destination, but a dream is really the idea, the version of yourself that gets that object, that gets that thing that can go on that vacation, the, this ideal. And what I clued in on was like why that dream needs to die is because it's a version of yourself that doesn't have any vulnerabilities. Like we never imagine when we dream about our dream like job, we don't we don't imagine like that uh, in order to start this like restaurant. I always wanted to start that I needed to get an investor to give me the capital to front the money to buy all the equipment. And so now I have this awkward relationship with this investor. Like we don't imagine that we just imagine like the restaurant doing uh, the stream. Or if I dream, I have this dream about accomplishing a marathon. I don't ever imagine like maybe it took me eight months of working with a physical therapist because now I'm in my 40s and my knees don't work anymore. That in order to accomplish that, like we when we imagine a dream scenario, we don't bring our vulnerabilities. And so the dream is in the way to actually what something deeper is drawing you to, which I would say is this path of desire, this and St. Ignatius speaks to this, that actually you're being drawn to this thing. But what needs to get out of the way is this perfection version of yourself. And the only way forward is actually through your vulnerabilities, this vulnerable version of you. And so then I kind of take these three arguments, these three vulnerabilities, and and I develop these like these own like spiritual mental health practices that I that I still I still do almost every day. Uh, to keep going, to not give up on my on my life, on my the incarnation I find myself in, the incarnation I've been given to to live into. But yeah, it's called Say Yes, Discover the Surprising Life Beyond a Death of a Dream. And that is, it's great. A hundred illustrations. I made it for people with ADD. It's it's great. <laughs> yeah. And if if you have, definitely get the, the book Say Yes, but if you have an opportunity to go to a live show, it's like, I think, Scott, you're you're getting back out in the world. You're getting to perform a little bit again. Is that is that correct? You've got yeah. a few shows? Yeah, probably, yes. I'm trying to do, it's like one more time around. And then uh, the book will be out. I'm planning on filming it really well. And then it'll be like, here it is. And then I'm going to move on to other things. Well, so, yeah. I would say, friends, figure out a way to get yourself to those live shows. Like I said, I've been multiple times and it is a magical time. And and Scott just creates such an amazing space. And I'm, I'm sure that is also going to come through the book. But that embodied presence in that show, uh, it can't it can't be replicated. It's it's amazing. 
No, thanks. Thanks. Well, Scott, thanks so much for taking the time and bringing Jones along for our, our conversation. Uh, I love hearing <laughs> his his sweet noises in the back. Um, and yeah. for getting uh, Honest Advent and Say Yes, what's the best spot for folks to go to to get a hold of those? Um, yeah, it's available where all books are sold. So whether that's... Um you know, obviously Amazon is a real big one, but uh, any local booksellers like IndieBooks.com can they can find your that those books in your local bookstores. Barnes and Noble, ChristianBooks.com has both those books, and they have pretty good deals on that. So yeah, just wherever books are sold, support your local bookstore, but don't feel shame if you buy off Amazon either, because that, that that's 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 the reality now. Yeah. Well, Scott, man, thank you one for being an artist that doesn't suck. You know, there's yeah. so, there so many, you know, I love the the Christian tribe, but man, we 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 just missed the mark when it comes to art. Thank you for not being cliche and cheesy. It, it's actually super, super encouraging and refreshing. And as someone who loves the art world, particularly film, uh, which we're mm-hmm. far, far away from uh, meaningful uh, Christian expression there, but uh, we'll get there one day. Uh, your your work is fantastic. So thank you for, for everything you're doing. And we need more of it and keep going. So thanks for taking time to, to be on the podcast and joining us. We re- It's been really good. Absolutely. It's been fun. Thank you for listening to the Forge America Missional Podcast. Forge America longs to see the reign of God revealed in the everyday spaces of life. To do this, we partner with local movements to mobilize the people of God to participate in the everyday mission of God. If you'd like to know more about Forge America, feel free to check us out at forgeamerica.com.